Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I've got some good things to share with you today. Praise God. And we're going to get right into the Word of God. And we're beginning, as Pastor Jason mentioned earlier, that I'm beginning to talk today about um, uh, the, our, our Easter title is It Is Finished, and so I've broken this down into three parts. Today we're going to be talking about the fall. Next week we're going to talk about the plan, because the fall was followed up by God's plan. And then Easter Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the victory. It is finished, the fall, the plan, and the victory. Praise God. And so um, go with me to Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we're going to begin to talk there um, and just share what the Lord's put in my heart for you today. Praise God. Let's say this together. Say, Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and life to me. I believe with all my heart that your word, sown in good ground, produces good fruit. Father, I am good ground for your word. I'm a doer of the word, not a hearer only, and I am blessed in my deeds. And I rejoice today, Father, because you sent the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to me. So I call on you today, Holy Spirit. Do your work in my life. I'll receive truth, act upon it, be changed by it, and I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 9, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then if we jump down to chapter, uh, to verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, Notice there that God put a tree, how many trees? One, one tree in, that he commanded them not to eat of. One tree out of all of the trees of the garden, everything in the garden, 
Man was permitted to eat of any of those trees, uh, except he held out one tree and said, don't eat of this tree. Now, people have wondered for years, for, for centuries and, and, and millenniums of time, people have wondered, why did God put a tree did God not know that Adam would eat of it? Did he not know that? Or why would he put this tree in the middle of the garden and say, don't eat of that tree? Well, you see, it's like this. God created us in his image and in his likeness. Okay? If he said, you are, you're created in my image and my likeness, I'm giving you dominion. What did he say? I'm giving you dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth, you know. And, and he says, I'm giving you dominion over all that. How many know that if there is no choice, then you are truly not in the image and likeness of God? If he created you, with no choice, no possibility that you could make a wrong choice, then a choice is really not a choice, right? If, if you have no possibility to do anything otherwise, then in reality, you don't have the power of choice. In reality, if you don't have the power of choice, then you are not truly in the image and likeness of God. So while while people have people have been upset with you know I, I think that that uh, you know Adam I, I got to believe that Adam's going to be in heaven and you know and I almost have to to think now now please understand this is just a joke okay. All right, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't teach this, but I almost feel like Adam, he's got to be in protective custody, you know, because I can just imagine what, what people would do, uh, you know, when they, uh, when they come face to face with Adam, the, the man who was responsible for sin entering into the world. Uh, you know, but um, if we had no choice, then we are truly not in the image and likeness of God. If we have no choice, then we are nothing but a robot that does whatever is program programmed into us to do. And so, um, in, in all reality, rather than being upset with Adam about the tree about the fruit, you know. Instead, we really ought to be thankful for that because it is a blessing that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And you would not truly enjoy that blessing because there would be no blessing if there was no power of choice. So you've been created in the image and likeness of God and you have been created with the power to choose. Praise God. You would really not, you, we, we couldn't say that we have dominion if there's nothing to have dominion over, 
right? And so um, Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. But we could say it this way, no tree equals no choice. And no choice equals no dominion. No choice means that we are really not in the image and likeness of God. Praise God. But he wanted us to be in his image and in his likeness, which means that he had to give us the ability to choose. Praise God. Now, 1 Corinthians, you may still be saying, well, yeah, but it's not fair. I wasn't even in the garden. I've never been there, never even seen this garden. And so, uh, you know, I don't even know where this garden is. Uh, so I wasn't there. I don't think it's really fair that I bear the consequences of the wrong choice that Adam made. And, uh, you know, when we begin to think about that, you need to understand this. There's a, there's a question that, that is asked, and, you know, people just, uh, people say, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, let me say, what, what came first, the, the fruit or the seed? Well, I'll tell you, the fruit came first. Praise God. The fruit came before the seed. God planted the trees in the garden and the fruit, uh, you know, I don't know how quickly after being planted there that they actually bore fruit, but uh, I got to say pretty quickly because uh, he put man in the garden and, and uh, that's what he gave man to eat. So I got to say that I, 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 I would contend that uh, uh, probably the tree was planted in the garden with fruit already on it because it was there um, uh, immediately for, for Adam, you know, within, uh, within a couple days later uh, that, that Adam showed up and he needed something to eat. Praise God. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 20, uh, says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so... In Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So we could say it, it, it's the, the adage of the seed within the seed within the seed within, you know, and you can't say, well, here's how many apples are in a seed. But you can say how many seeds are in an apple. You know, you don't know. When you see a seed, you don't know how many apples can come from that one seed down the line. And the, the, um, the seed was in the very first apple, and then every apple subsequently to that one was in that very first seed that was planted. 
And so we've got the very first man here, and every one of us were in that man when he fell. So in one man, the not just an individual, an individual man, but in the fall of the one man, every individual who was in that one man in seed form, and we were all there. You say you've never been to the Garden of Eden? Yes, you have. You were in seed form in Adam at that point. So you were literally, and if they could trace your DNA that far back, they could prove by your DNA that you were in fact in Adam and you were in fact in the Garden of Eden at the time that Adam fell. And so the fact that you were there, you passed that day from life to death. Now, Jesus goes on and he says in uh, um, uh, John's gospel, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we got into this physical world by physical birth. We came into this world. You will enter into the kingdom of heaven by spiritual birth. Praise God. And so the, the seed that is within the seed that is within the seed and so on back puts you there in the Garden of Eden. And because you were there, because you were in the man who made the wrong choice, that brought the fall upon every man thereafter, praise God, you were there, and therefore it came upon you. Praise God. Now, where did Adam fall from? What was it like before the fall? Now, I know when you're reading the Bible, it sounds like that that. Adam was created, put in the garden. God gave him a couple of instructions, and uh, then he created Eve, and then the next day that he fell, or later that same day. It, it almost sounds like it was an immediate thing. However, we don't really know how long it was from the creation of Adam and Eve until the fall. We, we don't have any kind of indication that would, that would uh, let us know or elude to how long that Adam lived in the garden prior to the fall. Uh, I got to think it was not, um, you know, uh, an immediate thing because it, it goes on and it talks about how that God would come and he would, in the cool of the day, and he would walk and, and communicate and converse with Adam. So, um, you know, it seems to indicate that at least a couple of days, you know, and, and I, I kind of think it must have been more than that, but, uh, but that, that's, that's not an argument I could have because I don't have anything to, to, to base that on. Uh, 
but that's really not that important. But what I want us to realize is what was life in the garden? What was it like prior to the fall? Well, first of all, there was no sin there because sin came with Adam, and we know when Adam committed the first one. Um, when he ate of the fruit of the tree, that was the first sin. That was the entry of sin into the world. So prior to that time, there was sin did not exist. Now, there are some things that came with the entrance of sin into the world. Uh, there was no sickness and disease. Sickness and disease, uh, you know, that, that came as part of the fallout from sin. Um, there was no death because God said, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And, uh, you know, I had always said this, that Adam died spiritually that day, but he didn't die physically until sometime later. But uh, um, I heard someone not too long ago that, that pointed something out that, that I thought was kind of interesting, and this is just a little side point for you, that the Scripture says, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And so what this individual said was that Adam had to die within a thousand years. Now, uh, you know, whether, whether that's factual or not, it does make sense. And the Scripture does say, make that statement with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. Well, Adam lived 930 years, and he died. So it was within the thousand-year period of time. But um, in the garden, there was no death. The very first death to take place was Abel's death. Cain killed Abel. That's the very first death uh, of a human being. Now, there was actually a death that took place before that because if you remember, after God came and he began to call for Adam, where are you, Adam? And Adam uh, was hiding. And then God began to, to talk with Adam and Eve. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that he made clothes for them of skins. Well, who knows you can't skin an animal unless it's dead. Or w without it dying, without w without the, the uh, death. So a death took place, but that was a beautiful picture of what would happen four thousand years later. That this animal died for the purpose of providing something that was needed for Adam. Provided clothing. For Adam, and uh, you know, if I'm sure that the blood was was shed there, was spilled there, and so blood became the sacrifice, became the 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 payment for sin. The wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So an animal came in and stood in the place of Adam and died that day. As God then took the skin of the animal and he made clothes for Adam and Eve. So up until that time in the garden, uh, there was abundant supply. There was plenty of trees. There was plenty of fruit there. There was an abundant supply. So we would have to say that, uh, that poverty came into the world with sin. Because how, when did poverty come into the world? Well, if you remember, Adam was forced out of the garden. When he's forced out of the garden, that means that his provision was still in the garden. His provision was all the trees that were in the midst of the garden. And Adam had to begin to find out ways to provide for himself. And, you know, and... Uh, God didn't just kick him out of the garden, and that would be contrary to his nature to just kick him out and say, you're on your own. But God began to help them. He began to teach them how to farm and how to grow food, how to plant seed and grow food from that. And so, um, but in the garden, Adam was, had everything he needed. There was no lack, so therefore there was no Poverty. Uh, now, poverty doesn't necessarily mean the lack of money, and there's proof here. Adam didn't have any money. Money was something that came into play later on, but he did have provision. Everything he had need of was provided there. Uh, he said there was no sickness, there was no death, because the animal that God made clothes from its skin, be, he, he paid the, the first death penalty. Um, and life in the glory of God because God would come and fellowship with Adam there in the garden. And in the presence of the Lord, there, there is no lack of anything. Now, how many know that when Jesus came, he came to this earth to reverse what was lost in Adam. Praise God. So it's important for us to know what Adam fell from so we know what has been restored to us. Now, you cannot, the Apostle Paul said in, to, to the Romans in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, he, he said you, you don't believe, you can't believe, it's not possible for you to believe in something you haven't heard anything about. And so the devil wants to make sure that you don't hear anything about what we're talking about today. He wants to make sure that you don't hear that the curse has been reversed. He wants to make sure that you don't hear that Jesus came to restore the things that were lost in Adam's fall. The devil doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think that the cross of Jesus didn't make any difference, but it did. Praise God. Praise God. And the more we realize that, the sooner we realize that, then the better off we're going to be. Uh, 
Now, in Genesis chapter 1, let's look at this. Let's, let's look at the temptation that led to the fall. Verse number 1 of the third chapter of Genesis, he says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of uh, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, no, eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if we go back to what God said in the previous chapter, he said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he said nothing about touching it. So right there, Eve was confused and she uh, uh, revealed to Satan, she revealed to the serpent that she was confused about what God had said. You see, this, this is why it is so important that you and I be students of the Scriptures, students of the Word of God, so we know what God said. Have you ever been fooled by someone who said, well, the, God said this, or the Bible says this, and then you found out later on that the Bible doesn't really say that? You know, there are some things that some people think the Bible teaches that the Bible doesn't teach. And when you begin to spout off those things, this is why, you know, I cringe many times when I see stuff that some people post on Facebook. Some, they just they see something that, that sounds real religious to them, and so they, they share it and they post it, and, and it's no more scriptural than, uh, you know, how, how many know who's that, that uh, how many of you ever thought, don't raise your hand on this, okay, but how many ever thought that the Bible says a penny saved is a penny earned? Some people think God said that. God didn't say that. Benjamin Franklin said that. How many think that God said, God, I help those who help themselves? You know, we built a whole mentality around that. God helps those who help themselves. However, that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not Scripture. That's one of those old sayings that people use. And there are a whole lot of things that people believe that the Bible does not say. Here, here's another one. The, the, there are people who believe that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. The Bible says so. No, the Bible doesn't say so. The Bible says there was given to Paul a thorn in the flesh. It doesn't say God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Some people think that the thorn in the flesh was sickness and disease. Some kind of a, uh, of a disease. Well, it says so right there in the Bible. No, it doesn't say so right there in the Bible. It says he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul. So 
you know, there are lots of things that we are confused about. And when we open our mouths and start spouting stuff that we're not, that we don't know what we're talking about, we're revealing to the devil what we don't know. And we re reveal to him that we're confused about some things so he can enter in and he can begin to confuse things even more because he's the author of confusion. Praise God. So he'll begin to confuse things even more. Well, Paul was given, uh, uh, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. God gave Paul a disease. Uh, so therefore, you know, if, if he gave Paul a, a, a disease, then I'm sure that he's the one that gave me this disease. And if God gave it to me, then God must want me to have it. So if you believe God wants you to have it, then you'll never receive healing for it. And there are many Christians who never receive healing because they are confused about some things and they think that God is the one that gave Paul uh, a, a thorn and furthermore that the thorn was a disease. And so therefore, well, if it was, I guess I'm in good company with Paul because he, you know, God gave it to him. And so we could go on and on and on about the things that people believe that are not scriptural, yet they, uh, they believe them and it becomes a hindrance to their life. It begins to prevent them from believing in the goodness of God. Praise God. Well, if God would do that, then he'd do it to me. And if, you know, I just don't know about a God that would do something like that. Well, I don't know about a God that would do something like that either because the God I know wouldn't do something like that. Praise God. Praise God. But let's begin to break this down. You know, the serpent misrepresented God. And let me show you what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. All right, so first of all, he's saying God didn't tell you the truth. God said you would surely die, and uh, you're not really going to die. He says you will not surely die. And then notice what he says. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, notice he said you will be like God after you eat this fruit. But didn't God already say that he had created man in his image and likeness. God already said that, but the serpent says, after you eat of this fruit, then you will be like God. So notice that, and then let's, let's go on. What was the real reason why God did not want them to eat of the fruit. The reason was misrepresented. How many of you have ever, you've, you've done something that some people didn't like? 
You've done something, and there have been some people that didn't like what you did. And so then some people who didn't like what you did, they took it upon themselves to determine why you did it. Now, I hope you don't do that kind of stuff because when you do, then you have become the judge of something you know nothing about. And when people say, well, you're not supposed to judge, that's partially true. That's partially correct. You're not supposed to judge with unrighteous judgment. You're not supposed to judge things that you don't know anything about. And one thing you know nothing about is what's in somebody's heart. And so when you begin to say that, well, they did this because they just wanted this, you know, well, all preachers are after your money. That's why they talk about money so much. Well, you, you know, if you're doing what are you doing? You are judging the intent of the preacher's heart. You're judging why he does something. Maybe the reason he talks about money is so you can begin to learn the truth about money and you can begin to grow and prosper in that area. Maybe that's why he did it. Maybe it's not that he's just after your money. Maybe, you know, when we begin to say, well, they did this because they just don't like me. Maybe you begin to say, well, they did this because they're racist. We, anybody heard that one lately? They did this because they're, they're racist. You know, particularly when someone commits a crime and then they get in trouble for committing that crime and then someone accuses the person who held them accountable for it of being racist and they did it because of race. Well, it wasn't because of race. It was because they committed a crime. And they had to be held accountable for committing the crime. Now, I'm not denying that racism exists in our world today. It does. Yes, and it's a terrible thing, and it has no place in the body of Christ. But, you know, I mean, I've, I've had that very thing thrown at me. There was year, years ago when I taught high school, uh, one of my students would get in trouble for something, and, and there were many times that, well, the only reason you did, the only reason you wrote me a referral was because you're racist and you don't like me because I am of a different race. Now, wh whenever you start doing stuff like that, saying stuff like that, and, and I'm saying this, watch yourself, don't fall into that trap of doing that. If you did wrong, it doesn't matter why you got in trouble for it. The fact is you did wrong and you should have been in trouble for it. You know, regardless. Oh, and, and, and racism, by the way, is not just on one side. It's on both sides. 
both sides do it and both sides fall victim to it. Okay? And it's either way, it's wrong. Now I'm going to get off of that subject and get back on to how the devil, but, but the, the, the thing I was talking about there, it, it is really the, it, it is a, a um, it's something that the serpent did way back in the Garden of Eden and people are, uh, who are under his influence are still doing the same thing today. Praise God. Notice this. For God knows that in the days you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what was he doing there? He was trying to get or trying to make God look petty. Now, I'm going to ask you another question and, and just answer this one to yourself. But how many of you ever thought or maybe still think that God doesn't want you to sin because he is offended by it? And that's what the serpent is telling Eve here. He's saying, if you eat of that tree, God is going to be offended and he is trying to withhold something from you, and he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you from being like him. God is actually petty. In chapter 2, verse number 17, God said this, that you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did God mean what he said there? Or did he actually mean something else as the serpent suggested? But see, here's the thing. We have believed, we have been taught that if we commit a sin that God doesn't want us to sin because our sin offends him. Did you know that uh, accusing God of taking offense, did you know that taking offense is actually a, a human weakness, not a divine attribute? He was accusing God of having human weaknesses and saying, well, he takes offense when you do this. God being offended is not why he doesn't want you to sin. The, the reason he doesn't want you to sin is the very same reason that he didn't want Adam and Eve to eat of that fruit. It's the very same reason. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. God doesn't like what sin does to you. That's why he doesn't want you to do it. 
And when we believe that God is just offended by it, then we don't understand that he's got our best interest in his heart, and the reason he said it was for your benefit, not for his. But we make God a selfish God, and after all, in the, uh, in the uh, first, the letter to the first, the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter, but in the love chapter, you remember that John the apostle said, God is love, 1 John chapter 4, God is love. So if God is love, then everything that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says love is, is what God is or is not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is not self-seeking. But here, the serpent is misrepresenting God in making it appear that God is self-seeking. When we say God is offended by your sin, we're saying God is self-seeking. Don't offend God. But it's not about God taking offense. It's about that God doesn't want you hurt. Sin will hurt you. You know, I mean, you go through the list of the Ten Commandments and you could look at every single one of those Ten Commandments and, and you could see how that if you broke that commandment, it would hurt you. Yet we think that all of those Ten Commandments, if we do them, they all offend God. I want you to realize God is not touchy, resentful, inflated with pride. He's not on an ego trip. But yet when we say it offends God, the, the serpent here made it look like God was on an ego trip because he knows that if you eat of that fruit, then your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like him. And he's on too much of an ego trip to ever allow that to happen. And so therefore, no, you won't really die, but God doesn't want his ego touched. But God's not on an ego trip. And everything God ever said don't do, he said don't do it because it hurts you and he doesn't want you hurt. Why do parents want to teach their children how to behave? Well, if you're doing it so they won't embarrass you, you're on an ego trip. If you do it because you don't want them hurt, now that's a godly reason to do it. That's a reason to, you know, you don't say, well, I, you know, kids, don't you smoke them cigarettes. 
Well, did you say that because it would embarrass you if your kid lights up? Or did you say that because you know that smoking cigarettes harms their health? Why did you say that? You understand the difference. You see what I'm talking about. No, if you're a good parent, you don't want your children to smoke cigarettes because you know it's a habit that is hard to break and you know that it will hurt and damage their health. So therefore, you said, don't smoke cigarettes. But what if your kid says, well, you just don't want me to because you don't want to be embarrassed. You know? But that's what we're making God look like. That's not who God is. You know, he does not have the human weakness of offense. Praise God. He is not touchy, resentful, inflated with pride. He is long-suffering. He is kind. You know, all of the things you read in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, that's what God is. And, he, and, and we lower God to a human level when we act like he's on an ego trip. And everything I do wrong, it's an, it, it is an affront, a personal affront against him, and he is offended by it. When we put God on a level of being offended, we are pulling him down from being who he is and making him like us. But that's what the devil wants you to believe that God's like you. He wants you to believe God's just like you. He gets upset and offended at all the same things that upset and offend you. You know, and when, after all, how many of you have ever thought that if you had, and I'm asking some questions here, and like I said, I don't necessarily mean for you to answer these questions except to yourself. But how many of you ever thought that if you had, if you sinned until you took care of it and dealt with that sin, God wouldn't talk to you again? Many people believe that's why they don't hear from God, because God's offended at them. They've offended him, and he's not talking to me. I mean, what if they, they picture God like this? Not talking to you. Talk to my hand. That's not what God's like. How many of you know that when God went to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had not dealt with what they had done? They had not repented. They hadn't changed their mind. They had not... Uh, they had not said, I'm sorry, nothing, but God went and talked to them. He said, Adam, where are you? And he talked to them. You know, people that they believe that if they have failed, God's not going to talk to them anymore. And that puts God on a level of human weakness. And that attributes things to God that God is not. 
that he is not like, but the devil wants you to believe that's what God is like because then you believe if God's not going to talk to me, if God's not going to hear me because I have sinned, then, uh, well, I won't talk to him either because if he's not going to hear me anyway, why should I talk to him? If... If, if God's not going to, you know, he's, he's mad at me, the best thing I can do is just stay out of his way. But that's not what he's like. We put God on a level of, of human weakness. God's offended. He's going to cross his arms. He's going to stick his nose up in the air, and he's going to look the other way. And he's not going to have anything to do with you until you get your problem fixed. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That's what the psalmist said prophetically in Psalm chapter 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Praise God. As high as the heavens are above the earth. You know, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Praise God. He removed them from us. So if God's looking up in the air, if anything, you know, He's making sure that your transgressions are going away as far as east is from the west. Now, don't, don't say pastor said God looks up in the air to, you know. No, that's, I didn't say that. I'm just making a point, okay? Now, through one man, sin entered. All right? Did you notice that he didn't say that it was because of your sin. He said that, he goes on and he says, death came into the world through sin. He didn't say death came into the world through your sin. He said it was through one man's sin. And that one man was not you. Praise God. Praise God. Romans 5, verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. He didn't say that it entered the world because of your sin. It was Adam's sin that brought it into the world. Praise God. Now, with that in mind, you know, I know that, that today we're talking about the fall, but let me just throw this in here, that if death entered because of one man's sin and it passed upon all men, then do you think that maybe righteousness came into the world through one man's obedience? And therefore, it passed on to you. 
Do you think that maybe you were declared righteous not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did? You see, it's what Adam did in reverse. Jesus is called the last Adam. So what the first Adam did was brought sin and death into the world. And what the second Adam or the last Adam, the second and last, what the second and last Adam did was to bring righteousness into the world and therefore it passed upon all who would believe upon him. Praise God. Praise God. So you are declared right in the sight of God, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. Hallelujah. Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 12. Let's read that one more time. Therefore, just as through, notice he says just as. In, in other words, he said in the same way, in the same way that through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, that death spread to all men because all sin, in the very same way because of one man's righteous act, it resulted in the justification and life. Praise God. Psalm 102, verse number 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Did you notice that iniquities or sin and sickness and disease are lumped together as one thing, that sickness and disease was the result of sin. And therefore, when God dealt with sickness and disease and when God dealt with sin, he dealt with both at the same time through one act. Praise God. Sickness and uh, uh, sin and sickness and disease both came into the world because of one's disobedience. Therefore, righteousness, justification, and life came to pass upon you because of one man's obedience. Praise God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Once again, do you see sin and sickness and disease like this? Running together. Bible says wherever uh, strife and, and, and confusion or uh, envy and self-seeking exists, it says there is also every other evil work. James wrote that. He said there's also every other evil work. They run hand in hand. And so 
when Jesus dealt with our sins, he also dealt with our sickness and disease. Praise God. Praise God. So if you have been freed from the power and the rule of sin in your life, maybe you don't know it yet, but you have also been freed from the power of sickness and disease in your life. Praise God. And it is no harder for you to get healed than for you to get your sins forgiven. How would you get your sins forgiven? You acknowledged you'd sinned and, and received God's uh, sacrifice for your sins, which was Jesus. You accepted his sacrifice. That's how you got your sins forgiven. In the same way, sin and sickness and disease, sickness and disease came into the world. God dealt with it in the same way. How do you get your body healed? You get your body healed by, not by begging God to heal your body. You get your body healed by accepting God's sacrifice, just like you got your sins forgiven. You accept God's sacrifice for your sickness and disease. You accept the fact that God laid it upon Jesus. Therefore, he had to take it off of you to put it on him. If God took, if, if God put your, your sickness and disease on Jesus and left it on you, then all he did was spread it, right? He spread it from you onto Jesus. No, he put it on Jesus by taking it off of you. And we've got to accept if you want your body healed, accept God's sacrifice for your sickness and disease. Accept the stripes that were laid on Jesus' back as the solution, as the cure for your disease. Praise God. Praise God. Now, Isaiah, let me read this. Very quickly, Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 8 in the New Century Version. New Century Version. He grew up like a small plant before the Lord, like a root growing in a dry land. He had no special beauty or form to make us notice them. There was nothing in his appearance to make us desire him. All this is what Jesus endured at the cross. Verse 2, he was hated and rejected by men. He was hated and rejected by men. He had much pain and suffering. People would not even look at him. He was hated and we didn't even notice him. But he took our suffering on him and felt our pain for us. We saw his suffering and thought God was punishing him. But he was wounded for the wrong we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. 
The punishment which made us well was given to him. And we are healed because of his wounds. We all have wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way, but the Lord has put on him the punishment for all of the evil we have done. He was beaten down and punished, but he didn't say a word. He was like a lamb being led to be killed. He was quiet. As a sheep is quiet while its wool is being cut. He never opened his mouth. Men took him away roughly and unfairly. He died without children to continue his name, his family. He was put to death and he was punished for the sins of my people. I love the way the New Century words that because it, it brings it down to a way that we can see, hey, I've been through that. I've dealt with that. Well, Jesus was dealt with it in your place. Praise God. Right now, if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never accepted his sacrifice for your sins, I'm going to ask you now to make a decision to choose Jesus. To choose Jesus. How do you choose him? You believe what he did for you, and you verbally acknowledge it. We're going to pray a prayer. And if you believe that Jesus paid for your sins, and he, he took all of that and dealt with it so that you don't have to, he was judged for your sins so you don't have to be judged for them. If you believe that, then right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone to pray this with me. And if you pray this and you mean this from your heart, then according to God's word, you will be saved. Let's just say this together. Say, God in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, that he paid for all of my sins so I won't have to pay for them. You raised him from the dead so I could have new life. Today, I choose Jesus. Jesus, I accept what you have done on my behalf. And right now, I call you my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, if you prayed that prayer, according to God's word, you are saved. If you will look there on the app, the, on the Word of Life app, or go to the Word of Life website, wolcarlsbad.com, there is a place you can click there that says, I chose Jesus. And when you do, it will take you to a link where you can download a book that will tell you what you need to do next and what happened to you. Praise God. So go ahead and go to that website and, and click on that and download that book. It's either in iBook or Kindle format, either one. You can get that free of charge, no charge for that at all. It's there for your, to help you, praise God. So do that. And if you are sitting in the room today and you prayed that prayer to choose Jesus on the back of the blue card that's in front of you in the seat pocket, uh, 
there's a, a, a checkbox on there that says, I choose Jesus. And if you would just check that, hand it to us on your way out today. We want to rejoice with you. Praise God. God has great things in store for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody say God is good? Amen. As the solution, as the cure for you. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love with you.